take the tree. Take your bag and leave my house. What? What's going on? You don't want training. Hey, you want me to break my leg? Your brother. Remember? Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. And we are at our 20th episode. 20. 2-0, which is cool. Mostly cool because that means it's been another 10 episodes. And you know what that means, Tristan? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Very exciting. It's been hanging out for this. It's also a exciting episode from a technological standpoint because I'm currently in Brisbane and Greg's currently in Sydney. Yet we're podcasting and it sounds like we're in the same room. Oh. Would this be easier yes. to edit because you don't have to like filter out? There'll be no echoey stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, it will be in some ways. All right, well, it's the 20th episode. That means JCVD. So for those of you who listened to episode 10, we obviously covered uh, Bloodsport, the first gift from the Jean-Claude Van Damme movement, I suppose. In this episode, we're getting into... Kickboxer. Yeah, Kickboxer. Very exciting. Yeah, and so this is almost... I mean, we'll we'll have a slight detour on a on a smaller movie that he also did, but... This is almost the next cab off the rank in terms of big Van Damme movies. And so the idea is, again, that if you listen to each 10th episode, you're going to hear a Jean-Claude Van Damme story in chronological order, and they'll all kind of add up together to be a nice JCVD filmography. That's the plan anyway. Mm-hmm. Flawless. So, yeah, the year was 1989. This was one year after Bloodsport. And uh, a very similar movie named Kickboxer got made. Um Budget of $2.7 million, gross of $50 million. Pretty massive. Yeah, it's done good. Yeah, yeah. Many sequels, a lot more than I thought. Same. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Rotten Tomato score of 40%, audience score of 65%, so 1% higher than uh, the critic score for Bloodsport, so that's it's an incremental Im- improvement on that front. This is not a critical failure. I protest. I'm going to leave a review tonight. <laughs> Needless to say, it didn't quite scrape into the top 10. And strangely enough, I couldn't find it in the total box office rankings at all for 89. It's conspiracy. Based on what I could see, if it, if it got 50 million, it must have been somewhere around number 30. So that's nothing to, nothing to laugh at. The man delivered. Probably beat, week, probably beat Weekend at Bernie's. Or did it? Oh, I don't know. We've done a few 89 movies now. It seems like we've done a lot. Hey. I counted them out. Did you? Yeah. How many? This is our fifth, I believe. 
I might have forgotten one. Fuck, and we haven't done anything from like 1996. <laughs> We're going to hit the later 90s soon. Double impact, the high school years. <laughs> the um, yeah. yeah, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Roadhouse, Pet Cemetery, Weekend at Bernie's, and now Kickboxer. So, all right, should we get into the movie? What's What was, growing up, what was your relationship with Kickboxer? Uh, this was an iconic film in my early formative years um, for reasons. Yeah. There's a few proof points that I, we can go into as we discuss the movie, but this was a pretty big one for me. Um I can't remember the first time I watched it, though. I was would have been pretty yeah. young. I don't know if I saw it in 89. Probably, well, most likely not. I probably saw it in the early 90s, but I've seen it quite a few times. I hadn't seen it for a while, though. Well, I think I watched it like maybe a year or so ago, but I watched it as a kid, That's but not recently. as much as Bloodsport. Bloodsport was definitely the iconic one, and this was also there, but I think it all just kind of got jumbled in my memory as also just part of Bloodsport. Like, I was speaking to someone about it recently the other day, saying we we're going to cover this, and they're like, oh, kickboxer, kumite, kumite. Oh, like, no, that's blood sport. Who was that? Name <laughs> and shame them. I had certain things muddled up in my head that I thought, more the training stuff. Having watched Bloodsport recently, I obviously less less muddled, but there's stuff in there that I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's this one, that's this one. But I definitely remembered the um, the dancing. Oh, yeah. He likes to dance. And the... Uh, the glass on the gloves thing. On the glass on the glove thing, weird memory came back to me this time when I was watching it. You know when Tong Po holds up his hands and he's got blood on the inside of his hands? I thought Jean-Claude had applied some sort of stigmata spiritual thing to him <laughs> and made him bleed, and that was when he did his turnaround. But I realized that's nonsense. You thought that this time or you thought that as a child? I thought that as a child. I got this confused with the Whoa, supernatural Oh, so you actually movie. thought that was that... I thought Whoa. all that like warrior stuff in the in the temple had like <laughs> given him secret powers to make him bleed with his mind. That is thematically very interesting. Yeah, I mean, probably very wrong. <laughs> very closely tied to the origins of this movie is a film called Cyborg, yeah. which we'll talk briefly about for context. And there's a lot of crucifix symbology in there. It's there. Maybe my little yeah. memory is getting a little bit muddled then because context is Tristan's going to talk through a bit of Cyborg today, a bit, bit of the road to getting made, a bit of a nod to the film that preceded Kickboxer, but I haven't watched it, so we're not going to do a full app. And you know, I watched it and there's not enough to talk about for a full app, trust me. <laughs> the backstory is the most interesting part other than all the crucifix symbology, but yeah. Yeah, he gets hung up in like like Christ at one point. Ah. Very subtle, uh, <laughs> symbolically positioning Jean-Claude Van Damme as Jesus Christ. Well. Powerful filmmaking. <laughs> isn't he? Should we get into this uh, this interesting path from Bloodsport through to yeah. Kickboxer? Yeah, take it away. Tell us about it. All right. So where we left off last time, um, Bloodsport came out. It was a hit, relatively speaking. It almost didn't get released. JCVD did the final edit himself just to show what a great film it could be and a great film it was. So he's Hot Property. Canon Films, the, the production company that made Bloodsport, signed him up for two more pictures. Those two movies were Cyborg and Kickboxer. So Cyborg, I hadn't even heard of. And I, I was on a flight last night, so I watched it. And it was, at first I was like, oh, this is something special. I've missed this gem. And then after about 10 minutes, I was... Bored as shit. <laughs> not not a great movie. Um, 
in the context of this, I think it's interesting to provide a little bit more background on exactly who the fuck Canon Films are, because I'm, I'm now realizing that they're pretty key to the whole JCVD thing. It was a Canon executive that discovered, air quotes, JCVD in the first place, right? And so I just did a little research under these guys. They're the logo you see at the beginning of like a ton of Van Damme movies, a ton of Chuck Norris movies, a ton of ton of movies from the oh yeah from the era in which we like to look at black back background actually started like in the, the 60s 80s kind of see yeah and they started in the 60s and in those days there were like pretty hardcore exploitation movies so like lots of sex and violence and there was one really successful one called joe which starred peter boyle that was the dad from raymond it looked pretty raw man <laughs> pretty hardcore interesting Anyway, soon, uh, I think around 1970 or so, no, somewhere in the 70s, they fell on hard times, and um, these Israeli cousins, Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus, bought the company for 500k, and they just started pumping out these action movies, man. So, like, Death Wish, or the Chuck Norris movies, like Delta Force, Invasion USA, like a bunch of MIA. shit. There's so many. I think, ah, oh, fuck, there was a number that was, like, Something High. ridiculous, like a ridiculous number of fil- like the volume of films. And I didn't realize this, but they didn't just do action movies. They actually like got nominated for an Oscar for best foreign language film at one point. They, I think they had the scattergun approach. They were just doing all kinds of shit. Yeah. But our mate Roger Ebert, we who we talked about last time when we were covering, well, a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about uh, Weekend at Bernie's, where that one time he got it wrong saying that was a shit movie. <laughs> um he actually, I found a quote of him talking about Canon Films. He says, No other production organization in the world today, certainly not any of the seven Hollywood majors, has taken more chances with serious marginal films than Canon. Ooh. So he's getting some respect. That ain't bad. From the E-Man. Yeah, from the E-Man. Old Roger Dodger. Yeah, Roger Dodgy. Roger. Roger. So that's fucking cool, right? And get this, in the 80s, they owned the rights to Spider-Man. And they cast they got those rights none to... other than Roger Ebert. <laughs> He's more of a Doc Ock. Ah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Dr. Octopus, Dr. Otto Otavius. If you say villain. so. Villain. <clears throat> Nerd. <laughs> uh, so they had the Spider-Man rights, which they only paid 255 grand for from Marvel. How crazy is that? But that's, that's not just a random factoid. That's actually where our story begins. So for 89... The He-Man movie, Masters of the Universe, they had just released, and I think this thing's going to be fucking massive. It's fucking He-Man. It's fucking Dolph. Going to kill it. And they had planned to release two big pictures for 89, which was going to be a Spider-Man movie and a He-Man sequel, Masters of the Universe sequel. And they were going to be shot simultaneously by uh, director Albert Pyun, Pyun, and they were going to literally be shot simultaneously. So he was going to film all the Peter Parker scenes while the actor was still unfit then go film uh, Master of the Universe sequel while that, that other actor goes and trains and gets fit to play Superman. So literally going back and forth between the two sets. In fact, they were even sharing some sets, I think, like some you know New York backlot style streets and that kind of shit. Uh-huh. So this was thing was ready to go, going to shoot two massive movies, fucking Spider-Man and He-Man, like in theory big franchises. Then they fucked up. What happened? They somehow lost the rights to both... Uh, they, they fucked up their deals with Mattel for He-Man and Marvel for Spider-Man, and they lost the rights to both of those things. But they'd already bought all the costumes. 
<laughs> they spent like $2 million on all the costumes. <laughs> so what, they just had a sweet costume party? Well, kind of. And that became a movie called Cyborg. <laughs> 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 like literally, man. So this guy, Albert Pion, was like, hey, I got an idea called Slinger that eventually got called Cyborg. And he wrote a storyline for it in one weekend. And that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and it was, you think um, it was more of a when one he first day, wrote like it. a one-day effort? Yeah. He probably <laughs> Pretty much. partied on Saturday, slept on Sunday. Yeah. No, he woke up the Sunday afternoon and was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to write a story. Pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, and then enter JCVD, who had his pick of the bunch after, after Bloodsport. They offered him... He could. He had, they offered him his choice of Delta Force Two, American Ninja Three, or Cyborg, and he chose Cyborg. Smart. <laughs> they had to completely change, uh, change the dialogue because of his accent. They basically removed all dialogue. Why didn't they just make him a <laughs> robot from Brussels? Well, he wasn't a robot. That's the thing too. The cyborg was not. Well, he was not the titular character in that sense. He was protecting a cyborg who was holding the cure for some. Whoa, 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 whoa. Human plague. That's not spoiler yeah. for our listeners. <laughs> Well, I'm going to play the trailer. Welcome to the world of the not-too-distant future. Get going! Go! A brutal gang is reshaping the world into their own vision of hell. And only one man can stop them. Jean-Claude Van Damme is leading the battle between good and evil. As it's never been fought before. He's on a desperate mission to rescue a cyborg who holds the secret for saving the world. Why did you help me? I don't want to see you die. From the dust of destruction rises the warrior of a new age. Say goodbye, my friend. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. Cyborg. Yeah, so that shit was batshit crazy, man. A weird movie. They literally recycled costumes from the Master of the Universe, so the bad guy was wearing Skeletor. a lot of what? Skeletor was going to wear, yeah, <laughs> including his contact lenses that make his eyes blue. You wouldn't know it right away. Like, he doesn't look like a skeleton, but he's wearing all this mesh uh, metal, what do you call that? Did they, Chain? Did they also metal, give it whatever? to Commando? Because Bennett was wearing yeah. some... Oh, yeah, it's very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bennett in the bad guy, the Australian bad guy, and that wears some unusually yeah. chainmailed outfit. The guy that should have been Chopper. Yeah. And so this movie is fucking weird, man. It sort of looks like a Mad Max mixed with like a Terminator kind of thing going on. But it also kind of, it was made heaps on the cheap and almost looks a bit like a student art film in some ways, which were actually kind of the better part. So it was just kind of weird and interesting, but ultimately boring and pretty shit. But this is the movie he made immediately before getting in to the big one. Oh, actually, one more thing on that movie that I think is pretty cool. It's probably the coolest thing about that movie. Yeah. All the characters' names. <laughs> End in Borg? <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be better. All right, let me tell you some of their names and let me tell if you... This is relatively subtle, um, but let me see if you can pick up a pattern here. So Jean-Claude Van Damme played a character named Gibson and the antagonist name was Fender 
There's another character named Liz. Another one named Yuka. Last name Lele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there were these were all guitar brands. The main characters were like mainly guitars. Then there was a character named Marshall Strat, as in the amplifier. There was Pearl Prophet, as in Pearl Drums and a Prophet synthesizer. <laughs> there was, <laughs> and it was, I think it Are was like... placeholders? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This is like a Mrs. Doubtfire situation where he had to come up with names and he's just looking around his room. He's like, uh, Gibson Rickenbacker. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet room then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little, sweet little music room. Yeah. But yeah, that's probably the best thing about... Oh, no, one other thing about that. Sorry, it turns out there's a few nuggets in this one. Van Damme blinded a man in one eye in this movie. He kicked him in the eye. And Jean-Claude Van Damme said he missed his mark. He was standing on the wrong plot. Blinded him in one eye. Got taken to court and had to pay him 485 grand. Whoa. Yeah. That's well, cool. I don't know if that was from Canon Films or from uh, Van Damme. But, you know, we were wondering about his credibility as an actual fighter and he makes contact. He blinded a man. Jeez. Yeah, so they, there you go. Yeah, so really, Cyborg in the big scheme of things was really just a stepping stone. It was branching out in a new area. It wasn't really a martial arts film, but it came good. And obviously the very next film, the very same year, I imagine they shot back-to-back, was, of course, Kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah. So... There's not much of there's less of a backstory here. There was the, they weren't about to shoot a Spider-Man movie so much in this case. They just made a movie called Kickboxer. <laughs> I think probably the 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 most interesting element in terms of backstory here is really the uh he's back with his buddy Michelle Kissy. Kissy? Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Uh-huh. And that was the dude you discovered last time when we were doing Bloodsport. His mate from Brussels. That's right. He was just uh, one of the competitors in the tournament. Yeah. And in this one, <laughs> they they painted his face and made him Asian. Yeah, they slapped a bit um, of uh, clay over his eyebrow, <laughs> under Ooh. his eyebrows. Yeah. To make his eyes smaller. Oh, I saw some, I saw a photo. I couldn't get any good videos, but I saw a photo of them applying something like what you described to his face. Sort of face, like significant. Face, face putty. Yeah. But almost a mask that they then painted over. Like it was, yeah. We'll post it on Insta. It was effective. But uh, but it was, yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. But, yeah, I think that level of it was cool, something I didn't notice the first time I watched it because I didn't even know who he was. But after your story last time, I'm like, oh, yeah, nice. Cool to see them getting some sweet action together. Absolutely. So I, I, I looked a little bit further into their journey to Hollywood, which kind of leads up to this movie as well, which is pretty cool. So you mentioned last time that, that there were a bit like a mini Arnie and Franco Colombo thing where they just moved to Hollywood with plans to make it. But um, these guys had nothing. They were sleeping on the beach. They were like homeless. <laughs> and like, I shouldn't laugh. That sounds horrible. But they... Um, <laughs> hey, they came good. <laughs> they came good. I found a clip of uh, an interview with Michelle Kissy talking about it and basically how they were sleeping on the beach, um, shoplifting food, and they eventually got busted eating a whole chicken in a grocery store. They just ate it in the store. <laughs> yeah, because they were trying to hide it. So they they would eat it at the shelf. Like one would be lookout and one would eat half a chicken and then they would swap. Oh, yeah. You'd want to go first. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's a great call. Oh, man. So that, that's fascinating. I've got a little clip of that here that I'll play. Of them, you got a clip it. of them eating a chicken? <laughs> yeah, it's just a clip of 
of a clip of two men eating chicken. No. <laughs> there you have it, folks. It's my turn. Give me the chicken. <laughs> thank God we had an American guy who was in Belgium. He loved Moroccan food. Uh, this guy said to us, I have a home in Beverly Hills, swimming pool, everything. When you come, call me. You have your place until you find a job. So we were happy. We arrived in Hollywood. We called nothing. <laughs> and then Jean-Claude looked at me and said, listen, we have our return ticket. Let's go back to Belgium. I said, what? I said, listen, I'm staying here. I'm succeeding here or I'm dying here. I'm not going back. So we have a few quarters. We take the bus from the airport to Santa Monica. My God. The beach, of course, beautiful girls. And then Jean-Claude looks at me and says, oh, you were right. <laughs> so we go swimming. Everything is beautiful until night comes. <laughs> night comes. Oh, my God. Plenty of ants came under our pants. <laughs> we go to a big market. Mmm, that smell, a wonderful smell of chicken. We go there and I have a quarter. I say, Jean-Claude, okay, because we always do, you know, who's going to eat first? Uh -huh. so, I mean, uh, he's, and I won, I remember. <laughs> I eat and you watch. <laughs> I, take the, I take the chicken. It was very hot, but I was very hungry. So I finish my half and then I give him his half of chicken. Keep looking, watching. We take the bones, put it behind the tuna cans, and we take a, a chewing gum. We don't come out without buying something. So we go there, and then a big black hand, African-American guy, you know, from the security, comes with the bones. You, I, you forgot your chicken. <laughs> we looked at, at the bones. jean look looked at me. I look at him. We look at the huge guy. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then I had to tell him the truth. I said, I'm really sorry. This is what happened to us. So I started to explain the situation. So he really felt for us. Anyway, he let, he let us go. We go and we find a kickboxing gym. The guy comes out. You know, we try to, to, to say what happened to us. And he was very sweet. He said, okay, you go in. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm coming. I have to close the door. Though. I said, no problem. It was smelling very bad. So I said to Jean-Claude, okay, let's clean up the place. Morning he came and he was impressed, the guy. He looked at us and said, if you want to stay a few more nights, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he said, we, we would like just to, to train a little bit. Oh, you do kickboxing? He said, a little bit. We've done that all our life. So he says to us, do you want to, to teach? And that was our first job. There you have it, folks. Two men eating a chicken. <laughs> All right, um, so that that's a, a pretty sick story. I like that. That makes it's very endearing to um, hear those kinds of things, eh? Like these guys, they weren't just handed a fucking chicken movie star career. Oh, I thought you, you were going to say a chicken. Yeah, a chicken. <laughs> yeah. They weren't just handed oh. a chicken. <laughs> it's like a rich metaphor for Hollywood. You have to earn your chickens. <laughs> I mean, then we can get into casting, but I think most of that we'll probably end up talking throughout the movie, right? With Dennis, Alexio, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll save that. All right, let's, let's play the trailer. Yeah. A champion from the West. Now that you've beaten everyone there is to beat, what's next? A legend of the East. A competition that went too far. No! That's my brother! No! 
brother is paralyzed. He can never walk again. He's going to pay for this. The only way you'll find him is inside the ring. And you are not good enough! I'll get him. Now, an untested challenger seeks an unwilling master. May I help you? Uncle Xian's going to teach you. My uncle does not teach anyone anymore. I'm telling you, man. He's waiting a three-headed cat. Fight before? Yeah, I'm good. It's strange different in America. Your defense stinks. To learn the art of an ancient combat. You must learn to be faster than any punch or kick. A combat where to survive, you must destroy. Do not let your emotion control you if you want to be warrior. It's a different culture, different world. They will fight the ancient way. Just listen. With your mind, your heart, your whole being. I'll win that fight for you and me. For honor. For love. For justice. Jean-Claude Van Damme. The power of a warrior. The heart of a champion. Kickboxer. In a world <laughs> of boxing and kicking. Where pad ties um, give you diarrhea. <laughs> one man wore tattered rags. <laughs> Varying levels of tatteredness. Yeah, throughout I like the, the spiky. It seemed to grow back. Yeah, he had. I think he. Sometimes it was just some nice sweats, and other times it was like completely ripped. Yeah, he, and, the other, and then eventually he fights in a ripped. butt flap. Oh yeah, we'll get into all that. Yeah, how was your rewatch? I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was just. That was my first note. Like, what? <laughs> highly enjoyable. <laughs> oh, it was so enjoyable. Yeah, just watching it. This is probably skipping to the. To the final verdict, but I think it this this rewatch of this in um, Bloodsport in the last few weeks, I think this bumps Kickbox at a number one. It had a bit of a richer story, I reckon. Because yeah, we were texting on that the other day, right? I, I had a, I was having a similar moment. I was like, is this like the good version of Bloodsport? Especially when I was about halfway through, and there seemed to be just more of a coherent thing going on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe not better acting, but. But I think, to me, more because of nostalgia and my childhood, I think Bloodsport will always be the iconic one, but this is technically the better one, Yeah, definitely. Great dancing. Bloodsport didn't have dancing. Should have. Bloodsport didn't have an American dude with that was an arms dealer that would came and just blew everything up. Yeah, or a blue Mazda van. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. Should we get into the plot? Sure. This follows a uh, bit of a formula that we'll that we've discussed in Bloodsport that we'll do a little checklist against after after this perhaps. Oh yes, our, our patented JCVD test. Exactly right. Spoiler alert: it passes in flying colours with flying colours. I think this is set the template. I think, yeah. I think yeah, this is the OG. <laughs> okay, so I believe the opening scene is kickboxing bout. You got Van Dam in the corner, and then. His older brother, Eric, basically smashes a guy, defends his world kickboxing title. And afterwards, he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. he's quite a cocky guy. Cool haircut. Though. Great haircut. It's just one of those. It's a strong look with the mo as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a really I, strong I would probably look. consider that had I been around in that era. 
Yeah, there's slight, slight notes of Freddie Mercury, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's great. So basically, yeah, they're saying, you should go to Thailand. He's like, Thailand, Taiwan, I'm kicking ass wherever I go. And then we cut to <laughs> Bangkok. They get there pretty quickly. He's scheduled to fight this guy, Tong Po. Anyway, so they're in the change rooms getting ready. Kurt, actually, he goes out to get him some ice at pre-fight because he likes to just rub a bit of ice on himself, apparently. And he hears this... Oh, yeah. And he sort of walks down the corridor and sees this flashing lock of ponytail hair on a bald head, basically just putting kicks into a concrete pillar and essentially... Shaking the foundations. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, I, like I remember watching that when I was a kid and that was just like, I was as scared as Kurt was. He looks like a Mortal Kombat character or something. Yeah. Well, he looks like Saget. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he goes back to his friends like, don't fight this guy, don't fight this guy. He's, I saw him kicking it like this. And he's like, Kurt, relax. Can you move like me? Can you dance like me? Can you dance like me? Is he fast as me? Fast as me? <laughs> that was like technically like I mean it did look fast, but is he as fast as me? It was like a child, <laughs> <laughs> like like something Will Ferrell would do. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad subgenre of remake. Just Will Ferrell and um the other guy from Step Brothers, what's his name? Yeah, just shot for shot remake of Kickboxer. <laughs> With a no ironic take, just sh- play it straight, the entire thing. Oh, I'd be down with I'd that. I'd watch that. For sure. Straight out of Step Brothers. <laughs> so he gets in the ring with Tong Po, basically getting his ass whooped. They go into the second round, he's toast. Kurt Van Dam throws in the towel. Tong Po sees it and, like, just kicks the towel back out of the ring. And then his brother's on his all fours and he just drops an elbow into his spine. Somewhat reminiscent of a Chong Lee. Yeah. No dropping, dropping into Jackson. Yeah. So then they're basically, the stadium, like, just basically put him out in the street in a stretcher. That was, that was pretty rough, man. <laughs> like, I don't think that's a very likely scenario, just dumping a world champion out on the street with a broken spine. <laughs> they put him on a stretcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they carried him out. <laughs> They're not, they're not animals. <laughs> Clearly. And uh, <laughs> anywho, then, this, then there's a random American dude there, Taylor, who's some ex-army guy, and he reluctantly drives them to the hospital. It was, it was a bit like, oh, fucking help you. Get in. Get in. And he had a, a blue Mazda van. Yeah, with two babes in the car. Yeah, like, we'll party later, girls. We'll party later. <laughs> yeah, the fastest wheels in Bangkok. <laughs> Takes him to the hospital. Finds out he's not going to walk again. He's paralyzed. Van Damme again, falling hard and quickly into deep mateship with that dude that gave him the lift. Suddenly oh, the best mate right. is like, I'm going to get Tong Po. And he's like, I can't let you do that. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> we just met. <laughs> he's very revenge-driven, this Van Damme character. So he's he wants to get back at Tong Po. But the only problem is he needs someone to teach him how to do what this guy's been doing his whole life in the next couple of weeks. So anyway, he tells me about this old guy, Sean. Who's uh, in the hills, basically. And he's quite cool. He's quite charismatic, this yeah, guy. Yeah, I remember loving him when I was a kid. So he goes up there. The guy's like a bit coy about teaching him. Sends him off to the markets to get food. So he actually sends him to his niece's store. He's the love interest, as it turns out. My Lee. Uh, then he kicks uh, kicks a few asses there. The local gangsters come to take a tax off My Lee's yeah. store. And he like gives him a good, good scene, too. A couple of high kicks. Man, he can kick. He can kick. So he's basically then we've got a little period of him getting trained up to, to fight Tong Po. So there's the great scene where the trainer takes him to the bar and basically gets him drunk to see how he goes. And that's where there's a very famous dancing scene. 
But like, was that the plan? Was he supposed to get in a fight or something? Yeah. Was he supposed to get drunk? Yeah. He, and then the trainer took him there, got him pissed, and then and then at the end, after he beats him, he goes, "Why those guys want to hurt me?" He's like, "I told them you had sex with their mother or something to that effect." Oh shit! Well, how did I miss that? And, shit. Yeah, and then Shan after that pulls up Freddie Lee and goes, "Hey, my guy just whipped all your fighters. Set up the Tong Po fight." Yeah, that's good. It's a good move. And then a guy comes and drops off a scroll. It's an ancient battle request. So basically it means you fighters have to wrap their hands in hemp rope dipped in glue and then they roll their the backs of their hands in glass. Hectic, hey? Yeah. Part of the reason I remember that so vividly, the glass thing, is because of Hot Shots 2 with gummy bears. <laughs> Hot Shots 2 <laughs> makes very light of this movie. He dips his gloves in chocolate and then he chooses the candy and he's choosing between like M&M's and gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> it's great so we're getting towards the pointy end from here freddie lee asks like he must be the the bigger boss to have a million dollars american i love how they make it a nice easy currency <laughs> i'm sure that thai guys always talk in american dollars well otherwise it'll be like a trillion baht <laughs> yeah um they kidnap my lee Tongpo rapes her that's pretty heavy yeah it's fucked up that was uh, pretty hardcore. Yeah. Cemented him as a bad guy. What about when he licks his lips when she walks in? Oh, That's man. so gross. It's so, it's, uh <laughs> That's the side of the times that's like, how do we make sure everyone understands how evil this guy is? Yeah, I think uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it did work in that sense. Mission accomplished, yeah. I would say. Yeah. That and make him more ethnic, apparently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Then they killed the dog or they hurt the dog. Oh, that hit me hard. There's a little dust in Kiki. my eye in that scene. Kiki, you know you love me. <laughs> I like when uh, Van Damme asks him, Do you think I'm going to beat Donk Ball? Yeah. And it goes, oh, oh. And he's all sad. And somehow that's an insult. Yeah. He was like, oh, like, thanks a lot. <laughs> what do you expect a dog's <laughs> response to be, you fucking weirdo? <laughs> at least he barked back at you. Could have been yes, mate. <sighs> Ipso facto, he's kind of roped Taylor back into saving his brother. And then his brother gets rescued by... Taylor, who comes in, brings a machine gun to a martial arts movie, shoots everyone up. I yeah, I'd completely forgotten forgot about that thing he dropped earlier about weapons and shit. And I was very excited though. My reaction was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Oh, I forgot That's about great. when Kurt has his first ring fight over in Thailand. And he smashes the guy, and then the trainer starts going, "Not so cow, not so cow," and then the whole stadium starts chanting, "Not so cow, not so cow." What does that mean? It means white warrior. <laughs> yeah, white warrior, Natsukao. It's the biggest quote from the whole movie, Natsukao, for sure. It is. That's pretty much the Kumite equivalent. Anyway, he beats him. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> should, we want, should we go into the checklist? All right, let's do the checklist and then we'll um, we'll get into a few other hot topics around the movie, maybe. Mm. So the checklist... This one, as we said, it feels like this really set a template for, for the JCVD test. So uh, we, we did this last time on Bloodspot. We're going to do this for every Van Damme picture. And it is a test to ascertain just how much of a Van Damme picture this actually is. So we've, we've written a generic JCVD plot synopsis that should work for any movie that is truly a JCVD movie. And it goes a little something like this. Jean-Claude Van Damme plays an American, air quotes, who wears high-waisted pleated pants in a foreign land on a quest to seek revenge for a fallen loved one at the hands of a morally corrupt racial stereotype. 
but he's about to find out training to fight his enemies means facing the enemies within and slowly doing the splits. He also gets his buns out. So we pull this apart and we start to do a little checklist of a yay or nay of does it pass each of those individual items. So the first one up, Greg, is he playing an American? And if so, how do they explain his accent? Well, Tristan, I would say that the explanation in this episode gets a full 10 out of 10. (laughs) Agree. They started quite early in the park. Yeah. I know we didn't grow up together. I grew up in Europe with mom, you in America with dad. So they plant the seed early and then they come back to it a few times, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. It's strong. I think the the Bloodsport one was a little too subtle. This was stronger. Yeah. This was stronger. Talks about him and his brother being different people. To my Lee, he confides in her how his brother and him are very different, but maybe due to their after their parents' divorce, him going to Belgium. It's kind of it's kind of good because it's kind of tied to the story, and he's sort of saying, "Yeah, my brother and I are heaps different, but we're brothers, and I love him. I got to get revenge." I thought that was pretty good. That's a good point. It actually works for the plot. Yeah, it checks it checks out. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. What about the buns situation? Yeah, so cheeky devils. Pun intended. Yeah. They made us. They made us wait. Ooh, did they make us wait? <laughs> Normally, we'd be getting the greatest buns of the nineties up in our fache pretty early in the film, at least once. They made us wait to the final fight scene. I reckon they forgot about it, and they're like, "It's like, what but about my was, buns?" This was like, this was like Jaws, you know, not showing the shark until like by the time they get those buns out, it's it's all on. There's just flashes of buns, like every spinny kick. They basically <laughs> wore loincloths in the final fight yeah. scene, which I guess I don't know my tie boxing history well enough to validate either way, but I'd assume that's not a traditional garment. Because Tom Poe's like ass is a G banger with a butt flap. Yeah, yeah, it's full cheek. Yeah, I would, uh, I would argue that Michael Kissy's Moroccan heritage required a fair bit of waxwork before those scenes. <laughs> Because they were both very yeah. smooth men, unnaturally smooth. Very smooth. <laughs> all right, so yeah, that's a so that, that's a first of all a ding on the uh, accent thing. Yep, that's explained. Buns. Uh, they took a while, but they definitely emerged. That's another. That's another ding. Splits. Oh yeah, he does them. He does them. He does quite a few. Yeah, he does. Is there any iconic? I'm trying to remember if there's any iconic splits moments. I think there are. There, yes. Oh, because he's pulling his legs out on the fucking the stretchy thing. Yeah, there is a, a training yeah. sequence where he's getting his legs pulled out into a stretch position. He yeah. does a, a variety of kicks that require essentially a full split. I think he does a split to kick two guys into a jukebox at the bar, like a jumping split kick. Yeah. He does the splits on the dance floor. Oh, Yeah. And I realized that that was probably my deep-seated influence to repeatedly trying to do the splits on the dance floor through my 20s and still into my 30s. <laughs> I used to do that too. Yeah, I still, I, I literally still do it now. <laughs> what else? What's, what's next on the... Pleated pants. Oh my God, they're so pleated. They're so high. Mega pleat. There's, there's one pair he wears that it's like I was... <laughs> it really caught my eye. There's like this mega pleat at the front where it's, <laughs> it's almost like two pairs of pants folded in upon itself or something. Oh, the pleats are coming back, baby. <laughs> yeah. They're so high-waisted. And then like he goes to the bar and he's wearing those high-waisted high waisted chinos and that little singlet that's spaghetti tight and it's got little, yeah, like you could unclip it. Yeah, like a bra. 
So that pleated pants, you're in. And with the heightened pleat effect delivered with a skin-tight singlet, that works. A very Van Damme look. Um, Mysterious foreign land. Okay, this version of Thailand seems to deliver in spades there. And a uh, morally corrupt foreign enemy. Yeah. Oh, so morally corrupt. I read this, I was reading some things, and I read this review that felt like I was reading a Vice review. It was like... All the reasons you shouldn't like the things you like. Yeah. uh, And what did it say? It said, the real villain in this movie is his brother, Eric, because Eric was the one that was too cocky to acknowledge that he was going into a foreign land and understanding the rules of how to fight in that foreign land, and he didn't listen to his brother. So he's the real villain. Tong Po, they just chucked in this stuff at the end to make him a believable villain. I'm like, no, he killed, he paralyzed his brother at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, after he threw the towel. Yeah, that's kind of setting him up for the whole movie. And he raped a woman. And then, yeah. and Like, that's not just... You can't just throw in the, you know, they throw that in later in the movie. That's the movie, though. <laughs> yeah. That's still the same movie yeah. you're watching. And we already hated him before that. That's the movie you're watching. He was already a gangster, spine-breaking rapist. Like, that person has invented another movie in their head. Yeah, it was really, it was terrible. Peak vice. We've reached peak vice. Ugh. Yeah. But that is a full six out of six. This is a very JCVD film on par with... With Bloodsport. And that makes me happy. I think Bloodsport maybe comes out slightly ahead on just because of the sheer number of splits and the, the bun scene with the undies. That's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> the uh, educational how to put on a pair of underpants scene, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you know what's interesting? I was thinking about the JCVD test and um, Cyborg. And I didn't, really didn't like Cyborg. And I realized now that it actually didn't pass any of these tests. <laughs> yeah, that's. They just removed pretty much all of his dialogue, doesn't get the buns out. I don't think he does the splits. Doesn't wear pleated pads. Foreign land. It's actually supposed to be New York, I think. And it's actually not even racial stereotypes. Can you believe it? So, yeah, not interested. <laughs> Hang it up. It's the wrong movie. Should we, um, since we we're in the land of morally corrupt racial stereotypes, should we touch on some of that yellow face action in this movie? Go for it. I'm not going to go full vice on you guys <laughs> either. <laughs> what was interesting on this is, obviously this is 89, right? And it, it's easy to go, well, that's not that long ago. How could they? How dare they? Found out in 1982, so just seven years earlier, seven years, so 2012 doesn't seem like long ago, right? Seven years earlier, um, Linda Hunt, she's the principal in Kindergarten Cop. Uh, Remember her? The little lady, that old lady, she's really little. Oh, yeah. Are you going to yeah, talk she about... Won an Oscar for playing it. You're going to talk about Billy Kwong in the Year of Living Dangerously. Yeah, she won an Oscar for playing an Asian man. Yeah, just just seven years before this movie, so it's easy to go, oh, how could they do yellow face in that era? And it's like, man, they were awarding that shit back then. This is we talk about this all the time too. How quick Hollywood is to pat themselves on the back with shit. This is a long time ago now, but it's just one of those things where it's like they're not as progressive as you know they like to think they are. Um, in saying that, it's pretty not cool. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. I think what's a good proof point of how much makeup he was wearing was that they cast someone else in Kickboxer 4 and he looks exactly the same because they just put that same shit on his eyes. It's a completely different actor. Yeah, right. Are they white as well? Uh, I don't well, know what well, he white. was, that other one. But he, but it's interesting too, even like thinking about today, like there was a controversy a couple of years ago with Scarlett Johansson taking the lead in Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Emma Stone played a part Asian character in that Aloha movie which seems pretty ill-advised. 
So while this one's pretty blatant, this shit still happens. This is this is an ongoing issue in Hollywood. Just just cast Asian people. There's a few of them. There's plenty of them. Get Carrie Takagwa. Yeah, put him in everything. <laughs> but let's do Mortal Kombat soon so we can talk more Carrie Takagwa. Oh yes, I'd like He's to do that soon. I have yeah. very specific memories. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go super deep on that. I just want to call that out. It's probably the part that's aged poorly, but I'm not going to throw this film under the bus um, based purely on that. They were giving Oscars away just years earlier for the same shit. So I say you're not going to throw it under the blue Mazda van? I'm not going to throw it under the blue Mazda van. Yeah, I mean, so the it's interesting because often we project these things into the future and do recasties and whatnot. There's obviously been a bunch of sequels and a hard reboot with... Kickbox of Vengeance, in which Dave Potista plays Tong Po. Yeah. And I don't think he's even meant to be Thai. So I think that's pretty cool. I, should, should we talk I about the clip. franchise? Oh, yeah? I, I, didn't, I would have liked to have actually watched the movie, but um, due to time restraints, uh, I didn't watch it. Um, but I watched the trailer, and I, these movies aren't sort of my wheelhouse anymore. I don't watch a lot of straight martial arts movies unless they're... Actually, I just don't watch a lot, period. But... It looked okay. I love. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Dave Bautista. I reckon he's he's got a little magic. I agree. Yeah, he's done some. I'm expecting big things from him. He's he's done. Well, he was in Blade he's Runner. He's got that really small part in Blade Runner, and he's it's good. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic as the villain, the non-speaking villain in Spectre. Bond villain. Oh, I forgot about that. Shit. And he's awesome in it. I think that was the movie where I first noticed him as like, hang on, he's got a real presence about him. Obviously, he's a giant, but. His size is otherworldly. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, but he's got it's a look, he's like got a look as well. Shit. Like he, I don't know, yeah. he's got, he's got layers. He's got layers. So I like him being Tong Po. So I'll, I'll totally watch that movie. I'll check it out. Yeah. Well, I took a quick look at the franchise on Rotten Tomatoes. And actually, the sequel to that one, so I guess what is sev- the seventh kickboxer movie, Kickboxer Retaliation, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 92% for a critic score. Does it? I started, I started watching that one yesterday. Yeah, so that one, the, the one, the Kickboxer Vengeance with Bautista, that's, that got 42%, which seems like the second highest. And there's a new one coming out later this year, it looks Armageddon. like. Armageddon. Um, so that's interesting. I might. Armageddon straight to video. Um <laughs> I might have a crack at the the new one. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't watch any of the other sequels. So there's Kickboxer Two, Kickboxer Three, The Art of War, Kickboxer Four, The Aggressor, Redemption, Kickboxer Five. I no, none of them have Van Damme, right? No. So they basically Van Damme is the number one, and then Kurt Stone's in the second one, but it's a different guy. And then they introduce third brother David Sloan, and he hangs around for the Kickboxer Three and Four. Ah, oh, okay. And that's, must, and that's, that's Sasha Mitchell. Now, I was reading something like that, and I thought there was a third brother in the first one, and I was like, what? Do you know, no, do you, okay. does the name Sasha Mitchell ring a bell? He was on a prominent 90s sitcom, a, uh, a household, you know, uh, unusual household makeup. He's in uh, Step by Step. step. By step. <laughs> yeah, he's Cody. Cody. Oh, I was about to say Cody. Because um, I can poor, picture him with a moustache. Does he have a moustache for me? The poor man's Keanu. Whoa. And now he's just a poor man, I assume. Yeah, he's a fucking gangster. He's an ass Is he? Up. What does he do now? I don't know. <laughs> Retired on the funds of his kickboxer. 
I think right. you get residuals or whatever or royalties. What are they? What are those things called on sitcoms with reruns? Anyway, so and then in number five they cast. So he did three, and then in five they bring in a new sort of lead. Who's there's no Sloans, but it's Kickboxer Five, and it's some guy called Marcus Dukakis or something, and he's the host of Iron Chef America. Ah. But yeah, I'm. De- I won't watch them. But I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have a stab at these new ones. Why not? Yeah, I reckon that's a that's a good Sunday Arvo kind of. Kind they of look thing, different. I, I started watching the Retaliation, mm-hmm. and it the its look and feel could best be described as CSI. Like it. Oh, we should. Do we we didn't say this already. Van Damme's in these, by the yes. way. He's the trainer. Yeah, he plays the trainer. That's right. He doesn't play Sloane. He plays like the trainer. Yeah, he's yeah. a completely different Di- character. Completely different character. That's cool. And do you know who the bad guy is in the second one? No. The mountain. Oh, yeah. How good. Yeah, world's strongest man. Anyway, yeah. So I thought it might be worth talking a little bit about, uh, you know, this, this film's had a bit of an impact on a generation of young predominantly men, I would say. Yeah. But it sort of taps into some interesting themes. So, or, or it articulates a scenario that was pretty uh, real at the time. So... And that's um, the notion of Western fighters going to Thailand to fight under Thai rules. So uh, kickboxing and Thai boxing are quite different. Right. This movie's called Kickboxer. So I guess the bluntest difference, um, there's a lot of differences, but the bluntest difference would be that kickboxing doesn't use knees or elbows. So kickboxing is just hands and feet and Thai boxing or Muay Thai is... Hands, elbows, knees, feet, shins. The eight limbs, as they say. Ah, nice. Okay, so this is not kickboxing. <laughs> no, this is this not This should be kickboxing. called Thai boxer. Yeah, but, um, but uh, Western is going. It's a bit like the Karate Kid reboot learning Kung Fu. Pretty much. But the notion of the guys going over the way his brother did, like when that's, that's what happened, a lot of uh, Western guys started going over there, ironically or... Dennis Alexio never did fight in Thailand, I don't think. So the guy that plays right. Eric's brother, oh, sorry, the yeah, guy that plays Eric yeah, is yeah. a legitimate um, multiple world title holder. Yeah, you can tell by his acting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that or a porn star? Like he's a <laughs> he's a pretty he's got a serious record. It's like sixty eight wins, two losses, one draw. He has fought in Newcastle, Australia. Really? But uh, he, I don't think, fought over there. But there was a lot of guys sort of in the. Early 90s, going over there, guys like Raymond Deckers, a few of the Dutch guys, and they it was pretty rare because the Thai guys just, it's their, this is a national sport for them. It's uh, been progressed and developed by the monarchy over there. So the king is a, is a huge Thai boxing fan. They've got these things called the King's Cup, and it's a big, it's a high profile and high, uh, it's a very highly regarded endeavor over there. Kids start training when they're like five. That's fucking cool. Yeah, the gym is the gyms over there are full of kids, and quite often if the kids are their gyms adopt kids. So basically, if there's a lot of orphan kids around, they'll get adopted by gyms and they'll just train them up to be champs. Fuck. So a lot of these, a lot of the Thai guys That's have had like fucking cool. Yeah, it is. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, they're not big people, but they're just hard ass. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. So this was like a real thing. This this idea of going to Thailand and taking on the Thais, and it's something that's the idea of that has sort of evolved as well into this whole fitness tourism thing. So there's kind of like a multi million dollar industry of fitness tourism 
in Thailand. Yeah. And look, they're pretty legitimate. There's guys over there. All those gyms sort of have world champions in MMA or Muay Thai or both training in their gyms, but they've also got like right down to the average Joe Blows punters who just want to go and experience Thailand and pad up and go for it. Because you did one, right? I did one, yeah, yeah. I did like the, the tourist version. I didn't have any fights. You train hard. You train a couple right. of times a day, but I didn't get in the ring with Tong Po or anything. He wasn't yeah. available. He turned me down. Did you wear a butt flap? I, I think I went streaking. <laughs> Thai whiskey, man. It's pretty hardcore. <laughs> yeah, so there's some interesting, like, sort of, whilst this is a fantastical movie about a guy that goes to Thailand and learns how to fight Thai boxing in a couple of weeks under this, you know, spiritual trainer, you know, there are things there that are pretty pretty legit. Yeah. And a lot of this is stemmed from this, I think. So, yeah, you know, and there there, there are inaccuracies. So I think a lot of the fighting Van Damme does in this isn't, Really, Thai boxing, I'm pretty sure a lot of the stuff he's doing is karate. So when he fights, he fights with a really deep, wide stance. That's his style. He's a karate fighter. Yeah, yeah. You compare it to a Thai boxer. So easiest described as Paco from Bloodsport. Remember him in the first, in Bloodsport? The the guy with the mo. Yeah. Or a beardy mo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big big eagle eagle tap. So you basically, it's a very different, it's a very different stance. You have... And the, the tie boxers have a very light front foot and that lead foot just right. sort of pops up and down and kicks a lot off that or like leg checks other kicks, whereas the karate guys yeah. sit quite deep. So they're, they're all very different. They're very different styles. There's also a part around the forms. So, you know, he's doing those sort of movements with his hands that he's getting taught, that, you know, yeah. like the, in the training stuff. I think, I'm not yeah. sure if they're tie. But it would have been cool for him to do like a, a white crew. Um, yeah, have you seen Thai boxing What's before? Um, at the, before the fight, they've got those little horns going, like, and the guys do those little dances. It's basically the Thai um, Muay Thai sort of way of showing respect to your trainer and respect to the the big patrons of the sport. They could have, they maybe could have done that. But anyway, I guess inaccuracies aside, it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, this movie really did inspire like a generation of kids to either start martial arts or you know aspire to be uh, professional fighters. And I think one of the best examples is uh, a really famous Australian legend of the sport uh, called John Wayne Parr. Um, this guy's an absolute legend. He's become a bit of a uh, social media legend in recent years as well. He lives up in Brisbane. He's a, a multiple world title holder. Fought a lot in Thailand, like a lot. Um, lived over there yeah. and kind of did the did the Van Dam thing, went over and got a tie trainer and lived very poorly and made his name over there. And he's a massive Van Dam fan. So he's got a cool quote, which I tried to find in video clip, but I couldn't find it. Pre-tweeted a couple of years ago, back when I was 14-year-old, Van Dam was life. I think at one stage I had approximately 25 posters that covered my bedroom wall and owned any T-shirt with his face on it. Very sad looking back. <laughs> but he was the hero that inspired me to be the martial artist I am today. So that's fucking cool. Like this guy's a yeah, serious man. all-time. He's a legend of the sport, not just an Australian legend of the sport. Like he's yeah, he's a special guy. And he's just out and out saying that Van Damme is my sort of sole influence to become a fighter. Yeah. So like, you know, we, we skirted around his legitimacy in um, the Bloodsport episode. And I think yeah. he is probably more of a... A film fighter, I guess you'd, you'd classify him. Yeah. But the... But it's almost like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, man. Like, like the yeah. influence. It's like saying, uh, okay, 
No, I haven't got it. I was going to give an Arnie one, but then I didn't have it. <laughs> He's not really a robot. <laughs> <laughs> He's not actually terminating things. Um, but he may inspire machines to rise against us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he has, I think, his, the legacy of this film is is pretty all time. Yeah. And, yeah, there's so many sequels. That just goes to show how... It must have been having an impact. Oh, and the soundtrack is yeah. fucking sick. Paul Hertz. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was actually one of my first notes too. Like, the music is tight. Oh, so I listen to that semi-regularly. Really? Yeah, because it's a good one for... I might put it into rotation. It's a good one at, for... Like, at work. I listen to it at work because it's predominantly um, instrumental. Yeah, I'm pretty much done with the Aladdin soundtrack now, so I might, <laughs> might get into that. Get onto it. <laughs> uh, I recommend Advanced Training <laughs> yeah. as a track. Nice. Yeah, and it has yelling in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's Van Damme after he kicks. Tristan, you made a good point. He still pulls his wide-eyed, surprised face after he's done a kick that goes, ah. But he hasn't been but blinded. But he hasn't been yeah. blinded. Why is he so surprised? It's just his move. I think he's just a heartfelt <laughs> guy that feels for hurting people, even if he is in full vengeance mode. Friend of the show, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. He's a big friend of the show. It it remains our sole ambition to get a moment of time with him to talk. If you're listening, if you're out there, JCVD, have a little chat with us. Um, he was my MVP, by the way, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mine was the um, blue Mazda van. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Fastest wheels in Thailand. All right, well, I think you can tell what our verdict is. This is 100% a rewatch, right? This is definitely a rewatch. All right, well, I think that's the that's the program. It is. Let's see how we went with our first radio satellite cloud-based <laughs> software, <laughs> Marbo.com. Yes. <laughs> Backslash. Backslash. Uh, speaking of, hit us up on our socials. We're on Instagram. If you want to give us feedback on films we've covered and you disagree with, hit us up on Gmail too, doubleimpactpodcast at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to subscribe and review, especially on Apple. Helps with our rankings. Uh huh. But otherwise, I guess we'll see you next week. Absolutely. And I guess in ten episodes' time, we'll be doing Lionheart, which was called wrong bit. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>